Hello and welcome back to Trash and Treasury with Grace and Miranda, the show where we cover the smart stuff but also lean into the trash. And for our smart stuff for Treasury today, we're going to be talking about big data. So what is the information that social media knows about all of us and how is this actually starting to affect political campaigns? Mm. It's a very key question that we've been asking ourselves since 2016. <laughs> mm, exactly. Particularly, <laughs> yeah. but we'll get into that later. And for our trash today, we will be talking about an absolutely wonderful show called Fleabag, created and written by the epic Phoebe Wallerbridge. And I can't wait to convince you all why you should watch this show. And if you've already watched it, to dive into all the best and most wonderful moments of this show. Yeah, it's such a good show. So we'll have that coming up for you as well as our hills to die on and our recommendations as always. But before we get to that, let's get started with Treasury. So every day, most of us log on to social media. I know I have many, many different multimedia, social media apps. And we tick random boxes and terms and conditions and we sign up to new apps every day and we hand over our data about ourselves and we don't think anything of it sometimes until shit really hits the fan. Um, So today we're going to be talking about big data and a few huge data scandals. So namely... Mm. The Cambridge Analytica Facebook scandal of the 2016 election, as well as some more recent data scandals that are happening now. It's pretty scary stuff. Like, were you very familiar with the Cambridge Analytica scandal? I actually wasn't. I mean, I heard uh, lots of talk about it at the time, but it's been a few years. And even at the time, I was sort of like, Facebook are collecting data, like, so they can advertise to us, I think. I think that was the main issue. Uh, mm. But I don't know much about it. Um, yeah, so I, I'm really keen to kind of understand a little bit more. Yeah. And I mean, as we joked about in the end of last week's episode, sometimes those ads are kind of helpful. It's like, yeah, sometimes oh, they are. <laughs> comfortable shoes or like, I don't know. At home all day, do you want to do paint by numbers to a Dog photo outfits. of Taylor Swift? I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but there is a more sinister side of things. So to recap what happened with the Cambridge Analytica scandal, basically this was a company founded by two sort of data analyst geniuses from Cambridge University Mm-hmm. And they were experts in personality science. And they started to think about how personality science at a mass scale could influence how groups would make decisions. And apparently Obama's 2008 campaign um, and also his re-election in 2012 used a lot of um, kind of targeted advertising and it helped him succeed in getting re-elected. So Cambridge Analytica yeah. was like, well, the Republicans like need to do this too, so that's clearly a good market for us. You know, they need to learn what's going on. We'll try to sell our services as this communications personality company that can help political parties basically to win elections. Yeah. So basically how it all worked was there was this kind of random app or like quiz on Facebook. It's like a personality-based quiz. Quiz, okay. Um, 
and you would fill it out and it would start to understand like your thinking style and your preferences. And so Cambridge Analytica ran this survey and they had this data and they were like, oh, this tells us heaps of info, you know, we could sell this. And what they could do from this was then make targeted ads. That would mean it wasn't like a news article that was public. Only people, only certain people could see it in their feed. And some of the stuff they were saying was like inaccurate, like very sensationalist. So for example, if you were Afro-American, you would get a personalized targeted ad that is like, Hillary Clinton hates black people. Watch this video from her in the 80s where she said something really Mm. bad. But they would not actually put that anywhere public because then it would be discredited. Yeah. They were sending them sort of, you know, individually to people. And so I sort of had heard about that and I thought that that's what it was, like demographic info. Yeah, demographic Um, info, which doesn't seem too overtly personal. I mean, it's information that we provide willingly to a social media service, you know? It's like... Yes, but it actually was worse than that, which I didn't really realise. So basically it was deeper because it was also like your personality questions, but... Whoever filled it out, it didn't just get their info. It got all of their friends' info. So only 200,000 people needed to do the survey and they got a complete profile of every voter in the United States of America. Whoa. Yeah. So, like, totally creepy. And, yes, it was the demographic info and the likes, which seemed, like, pretty obvious. You're putting that out there publicly. Like, I kind of don't really have that much problem with that like whatever like if you publicly chose to like art attack like sure now someone knows that about you fine yeah but what they have come to realize is it was much more than that they would actually analyze the content of your status updates and also the content of your private messages whoa whoa not cool that's that's really shocking I mean I shouldn't be shocked, but I am shocked. I think the part that makes it really kind of scandalous, I think, is just where it does mm. get into politics and like these low blows and these targeted ads where people are literally sending these horrific kind of slam campaign ads um, to people mm-hmm. who might be receptive to them. And look, people can advertise. I mean, pol- politicians can advertise. I mean, Hillary and Trump advertise advertised at the time um people are doing that now um that's okay and there are sometimes you know things that are ethically questionable as in you know should you create a campaign that is um trashing someone else you know to say Mm. that you're the better person ethically questionable but not illegal um Mm -hmm. but where and and where does it get to a point where it's like this isn't fair because um, a lot of what people were saying was that this is how Trump got elected and it might be true, but there's nothing to say that the opposition couldn't have done the same thing and used the advertising to their advantage, Um, but they didn't. And I I think it speaks to... um, you know, what What sort of a platform should Facebook play in the political game? And, you know, if you're mm-hmm. only seeing one side of the story um, and you're never seeing the other side, you know, it's a very, very one-sided view of the world where all your ads, all your content that's popping up on your feed is only ever from either a right-wing or a left-wing source. Like people mm-hmm. should be able to get a balanced 
uh, feed of news. And I think it's a new concept. I think that Facebook are looking into things and like what role they should play and even Twitter you know fact-checking Donald Trump Mm -hmm. these days you know it's it's Mm -hmm. kind of like social media has just become so huge that we don't have legislation for it but we should and it's Mm. like it just seems you know the selling data is one thing but that's information that we provide other information is information that we didn't know we were providing such as you know private messages that's a hack the private messages and stuff is hacking that's I mean yes it's a hack But it's also something that's like, okay, well, it's not like those messages are being shared. It's just that people are able to get some analytics on that data. And it is using a public platform that we signed up for that we didn't read the fine print for. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so part of me sort of thinks, well, you know, that's that's a little bit on us. What I think's not on us is, Mm -hmm. you know, what then people do with that data. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to literally, you know, completely change our mindset about politics and uh fact and not fact you know Mm. it just seems so wrong it just seems Mm. so wrong advertising sure shoes sure you know I, i don't know it just seems really really ethically questionable but also very hard to draw a line because I think sometimes it's okay and other times it's not okay but those lines cross Mm -hmm. so much and I just Mm -hmm. I don't know where I stand on it I flip-flop on this issue so much I think you really hit the nail on the head when you were saying you know do we have a problem with it because it got Trump elected or do we have a problem with it and if these same tactics got Hillary elected would we mm-hmm. be having this same conversation? And so Cambridge Analytica was a big factor in Trump's um, election and they also were a big factor in Brexit. Oh, but, my God, yes. Yes, which actually, yeah, they were. that was kind of before Trump. Um, Brexit happened earlier in 2016 and it was kind of one of their starting points. Mm. But I do think it's interesting whether people on the left – are we concerned about this because of the outcome or because of the process? It's so hard. Um, I think that Mm. inherently spreading like misinformation across a humongous social platform and targeting people with only that information that is incorrect, it Mm. just, it's clearly going to influence them. And I mean, that said, it's very, very hard to get a balanced proportion of news unless exactly. you buy a newspaper and read it cover to cover. Well, and even then, what newspaper are you buying, Grace? You That's know, and true. I think that you do. You That's seriously, true. you seriously need to like read lots of different newspapers from lots of different points of uh, points of view. I say because it shouldn't be points mm. of view in you know journalistic integrity, but it is, and we all know it is. So you should read articles mm. from a wide source to educate Mm. yourself and Mm -hmm. also read what other people are reading because I think that informs ourselves. It informs what our friends and families might be reading and what the public might be thinking. So I think it's Mm. just, it's always good to get a balanced view, but it's very hard. And unless you're committed to doing so, people don't. And if you're on Facebook and you scroll, that's all you get. Mm, true. I think it's very interesting the point you're making about the diversification of points of view and mm-hmm. non-biased points of view because actually social media should and was inherently set up to be a democratic form of media 
in that anyone can say anything. They don't have to be a multi-millionaire media mogul. Social media platforms such as Twitter have really helped with a lot of um, civil rights movements, including the Arab Spring in the Middle East. Twitter was really groundbreaking for democracy and human rights in those Mm. situations. So I think, you know, social media is not inherently bad, no, in but fact, it's the great. way this situation's happened. And I thought it was funny what you said earlier as well about, um, you know, people on the left don't use these targeting campaigns as much. And to play devil's advocate, well, maybe that's their, their loss for not engaging a consultancy who had democratic information. I'm not endorsing... Um, the leaks or the misinformation and for what it's worth Facebook was fined five billion dollars and Cambridge Analytica dissolved themselves and disappeared because otherwise they would have faced uh, legal action and severe penalties so they've just disappeared wow wow Mm. so yeah okay well that's a good result I mean that's a good result (laughs) I mean the fact that they you know can't target people in that way but realistically it was you know, the data contained within Facebook that was given to Cambridge Analytica, right? So the data's yes. still there. We could just have another company that swoops in to do the same job. But to get back to big data, um, there was also some discussion about Trump and trying to ban TikTok in America. Yes. And it's actually, I didn't know much about this um, until you uh, very kindly reminded me of it and I was like oh my god I need to know everything about this so I, as we know listeners of our podcast will know you love a bit of TikTok bring it on challenge blinding lights challenge more yes. rose impressions you're impressions, on TikTok. yeah I do I do like TikTok um, even though I'm a millennial which was also in season one if anyone's another like, TikTok okay, you enjoy okay millennial <laughs> okay millennial just because I drink wine and, you know, think I know what I'm doing. Um, anyway, so uh, Trump reacted to something, you know, in a very Trump way that usually Trump does. So if anyone doesn't know about this, basically what happened is when he was getting ready to campaign for his uh, 2020 election, um, mm-hmm. he had this big rally planned and everyone on TikTok um was sort of talking about it but in what way so Trump was saying before this rally oh my god we've had the most amazing sellout this is record-breaking nobody has ever done this before like you know we're the best you know classic Trump and um then he showed up and I think 6,200 people showed up or something Mm, along those numbers the rally uh, yeah, and that is a huge rally. So on TikTok, uh, there was somebody who reminded the public that all you had to do to go to Trump's rally was um, to put your phone number or something and just to reserve two seats each. Mm-hmm. So everybody on TikTok reserved these seats, but... Um, then didn't go to the rally and all this one fantastic one uh person that I saw on TikTok that obviously went super viral was like oh my god like I didn't know that you could reserve seats for the Trump rally um you know I've reserved two seats um but it turns out unfortunately I won't be able to go as I have to 
pick up every piece of lint off of my floor that night and um, (laughs) arrange them into size order. So unfortunately, I won't be able to attend the rally, Um, but I would encourage others to reserve their own seats as well. Um, And it was just done in this really backhanded, sarcastic way. And it went off to the point where a million seats were unattended or something like that, like so Mm. many. And he was just like, you know, we're looking into banning TikTok. You know, we're we're in discussions about it. We don't know what we're going to do yet, but we're looking into banning TikTok, you know. And um, then he just made it a conversation about that TikTok was stealing our data. And well, to be fair, (laughs) that is a real concern that we shouldn't disregard just because Trump said it. A lot of intelligent people said it before Trump. Um, TikTok apparently takes a much deeper sweep of data than other apps do. And there are some very valid concerns with the amount of data TikTok takes. Uh, Yes. Yes, that is true. Um, But as I heard um, spoken about in a podcast where they're all sort of like really savvy tech people talking about this Mm. and a lot of the words I did not understand, but um, they were sort of like... (laughs) you know, on the scale of one to bad, it's really not that bad. And um, they had a broader conversation, which I didn't even think that I needed to know about in this conversation, but about the fact that, yes, they're taking data. Yes, we do have an actual concern and there is like an Mm -hmm. AI arms race happening and we have had a conversation about AI previously in season Mm -hmm. one, Mm -hmm. Um, but there is kind of like this competition. And what they were saying was, you know, this administration, the Trump administration reacts by, you know, do do to them what they did to you or do unto someone what someone does to you or something. Totally. I can't, re- can't remember the quote. Something profound. Anyway, and so <laughs> he does that. Um, but that doesn't necessarily make for an effective policy or an effective strategy. And uh, so China does ban some uh, you know, American-owned uh, content on the internet. You know, we know that they censor Facebook and they censor a lot of things. So, um, you know, Trump was kind of like, well, if they're going to do it to us, well, we'll do it to them. But also everyone's collecting data. Just because it's Americans collecting data doesn't mean that, you know, I mean, Americans collect data too. Like, look at what happened with Facebook. Exactly. I mean, exactly. just because it's Chinese. That's what I was about to say. I just think it is so... Um, kind of racist. It's definitely fanning the whole China-America. <sighs> China-America yeah. thing. You know, he's just, he's so racist, Um, you know, with the exactly. whole coronavirus it thing as well. You can't deny that came into it. No, and also like now America, you know, is going to potentially buy a piece of TikTok and therefore that satisfies America that TikTok is no longer dangerous just because America owns a bit of it. But it's like do it doesn't. Feel good about America? Like, Does that make you feel good about it? And- it's like the data is still know. there. It's also people creating funny videos. I mean, maybe we should think about other data that's been collected in other ways. You know, like mm. uh, it's not the only evil. If you're going to ban an app, you probably need to ban a lot of goddamn apps, you know, is what exactly. I'm saying. You know, like. Which is why he did walk it back. <laughs> he did walk it back, but it's just a classic Trump reaction. The fact that he got punked. And basically no one came to his rally and he's like, 
I don't like them. Meh. I'm going to ban TikTok. Yeah. I don't like Mexico. I'm going to build a wall. Schoolyard. Yeah. No one went to his birthday party, and so he wants to take away China's toy of the TikTok app. He does. He does. He wants to take away China's toy, and it's just so juvenile and so silly. Um, but yes, TikTok does collect our data. A lot of apps do collect our data. If you think they don't, they do. And, you know, that's just something that you've got to kind of remember, I guess. Make an informed decision about it. Read the terms, conditions, opt out if you want to or engage with it knowing that it's a gray area. And also, Mm. you know, I think it does need to be legislated more, but there's also like I don't believe people need to be hysterical about it or conspiratorial about it. I think... You know, Mm. it's bigger than one person. And if you're going to use an app, I don't think you should feel guilty that, you know, you're causing um, Donald Trump to be elected by using Facebook. You know, like we're all kind of guilty by association, but realistically the problem's bigger than us and somebody else needs to do something about it. It's true. I mean, it's not (laughs) conspiratorial to think that um, these data issues can have a huge impact, as we saw from the Cambridge Analytica story so you know it's worth continuing to keep our eyes open about it and wary of it but I agree you know we don't want to be completely hide under the bed sheets and worried about it either you can have you know a healthy perspective so I think as we said before it's a calculated risk people have your data it's a reality um with being online being on the internet um you don't need to be super afraid of it but it is there and people have our information. So um, if you're being advertised something and you see some videos and you see some things, you know, maybe maybe check yourself on Google. Maybe look at another website just to keep yourself <laughs> balanced. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, by listening to Trash and Treasury, the podcast, you have consented to giving us all of your demographic and personal information here <laughs> and forever by listening to our podcast. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> If only we actually had any information, that would be great. Email us, guys. <laughs> All we have is the spam bots demographic data, which, surprise, surprise, doesn't exist because they're not real. So. Exactly. <laughs> and speaking of balance, let's talk Fleabag. So Fleabag is a very short Uh, six episodes a season uh, that only has two seasons. Um, It's on Prime Video in Australia at the moment and the main actress and writer is Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Now, people might know Phoebe Waller-Bridge more prominently from the recent Killing Eve series where she's also a writer, which came after Fleabag's fame. Though she's not in Killing Eve. She's not in Killing It, she but she's the show it. creator and she's the writer. But um, it's a fantastic series. It's very hard to explain. Um, it's it's based on a theatre show, a one-woman show that really? Phoebe Waller-Bridge created. Yes, called Fleabag. Yes, and it was on um, in the Edinburgh Film Festival where it first got some recognition and they did about a month's run and that's where everybody was like, whoa, this is really cool. And I think the series was people suggested that it should be a TV series and it was sort of mm. in the works and then it was sort of the success of um, her, her Edinburgh show that actually got her first series that she ever created called Crashing 
created because that was already in the pipeline. How Phoebe Waller-Bridge describes it is kind of like a prototype for Fleabag. So yeah, it follows her sexcapades, her (laughs) life, her family, her very quirky family in England. Um, And she sort of got this quite... Uh, extroverted personality but quite an introverted life like she's quite Mm. she doesn't have a lot of friends and everything like that like she's got one key best friend um, who who died and we don't quite know the circumstances surrounding that at the start of season one Um, and for those who uh, haven't seen Fleabag and would like to uh, we'll let you know when we get to particular um, pieces of information that might be vital to the story (laughs) so Mm. you can quickly fast forward those bits but we'll talk about a bit of the show generally as well and it's definitely um, true that she doesn't have many friends her loneliness is a pretty key theme particularly for season one mm, yes and in season two it's brought to the forefront a lot too um what's interesting is that you know it's sort of a very interesting take on a single woman who's quite happy-go-lucky, quite quirky, quite fun, um, but also has some, you know, things that she's working through and might not always be Mm. conscious of those things. And um, I actually think that Fleabag season one was okay and season two was groundbreaking. Like it was just so phenomenal. Um, But season one also got like people loved season one too. But season two just incorporated so many different themes. Um, It was just the most perfect piece of writing. I've heard this described as well in other places. The most perfect piece of writing in a single story. Mm. You know, like season two won all the Emmys the year before. Season two won all. Yes, it did. Mm. It did. And what's so super interesting is that I actually heard Phoebe Waller Bridge um, in an interview, and she was saying that she was terrified to do season two Mm. really terrified she was like oh I don't know I feel like the story's already been told you know I feel like it was also had been quite a gap I think it's worth mentioning season one came out in 2016 and season two didn't come out till three years later that's it wasn't like the normal production schedule where you just bang something out once a year it's true and um she also said that um unlike a lot of normal tv productions there was no pressure on her to do a season two so the creators mm. sort of said to her oh you know have a think about doing season two you know have a think about it because season one was really good and we really liked it and then she created this amazing piece of work So I have to take us back to the opening scene of season two. And although season one was also fantastic, and yes, there's some character development, um, you actually don't need to watch season one um, to watch season two, is what I tell people. Um, I disagree, but I'll come back to that. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Anyway, it opens up with uh, the main character looking into a mirror and she's got a completely bloody nose um, and she's just looking in the mirror, wiping her bloody nose and she's clearly in a restaurant toilet and she looks stunning in this black jumpsuit. And then she passes a uh, <laughs> piece of hand towel to some random person on the floor who we don't know who that is yet and we have no mm. idea what the context is. Um, and she's like, thank you. And she's also got a bloody nose and we're like, what the hell has happened? And then she's sort of like, oh, in so much pain looking at herself, looking disheveled in the mirror but also stunning. And then she just quickly turns to the camera and says, this is a love story. 
And it was just the most epic opener. And then basically we go back to the start of the dinner party to see, you know, what was actually the context and what was going on. And uh, a main part of this whole series where I find it is a very, very hard show to explain because it is just following a woman's life and her family really. Um, But it is so different. The writing is so cutting, so witty, so smart, and so incredibly well acted. Um, It just takes you on this kind of really wacky journey and you feel everything. Um, The comedy is so stylized and interesting. And also they do something that actually works in this series that works almost nowhere else. And I usually hate it, but breaking Mm. the fourth wall is something that they really utilize in Fleabag. And it is so well done. And the way that she looks at the camera, the way that she, um, interacts with the camera is so interesting and mm. well the camera and her audience are her only friends with her loneliness mm-hmm. so before we get into spoiler territory some overarching comments that won't give anything away that I'd like to touch on is the stepmother played by Olivia Coleman oh my god is a fantastic performance heaven she is <laughs> heaven she is so rude, but also so funny. And the daughters are rude to her too, so you feel bad for her, but she is also the worst. She's horrific. <laughs> um, I rewatched um an episode today where she delivers a fantastic line um where uh Phoebe Wallbridge gives her a present and she doesn't open it. She's like Oh, thank you so much, dear. I'm going to open this over a, a rubbish bin so that I've got somewhere to put the paper. <laughs> and it's just like you couldn't outrightly say that she was being a bitch, but she so yeah. is. And she does it so well with a smile on her face the whole time. Like, oh. Exactly. That's the thing. It's like walks the very fine line between like politeness and passive aggressive. Yes, and Olivia Coleman is famous for winning the Oscar for Best Actress last year for her role in The Favourite, which famously she ended her acceptance speech by saying, Lady Gaga! <laughs> 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 which I also had to rewatch. Yeah, she was phenomenal in Fleabag. And uh, just like how Shit's Creek swept the Emmys this year, Fleabag season two swept the Emmys last year. Yeah, she was recognised for the Oscar for the favourite, but, yeah, she's been in a lot of things. Um, Lobster is really funny that she's in, but definitely Fleabag is – she's one of the stars of the show, even though she's just a supporting actress. It's phenomenal. <laughs> she's also in Broadchurch, which was huge for her. But another really interesting thing or sort of device that they do in Fleabag or they utilise in mm. Fleabag – is that I had no idea until the end of the show, until the end of the series, and I was listening to some reviews of the show, hmm. and they were like, did anyone notice that nobody has names? Yes, I actually did notice that. Did you? So the main actress doesn't have a name. Her name is Fleabag. And also um, a really amazing character who comes into season two, and so after this, if you haven't seen it and you want to see it, feel free to skip ahead to our hills because we're talking about the priest who doesn't have a name, but he's called the priest and he is played by Andrew Scott, a phenomenal Irish actor. I think he's actually called the hot priest. The hot priest. Um. Yeah. <laughs> they pretty much refer to him from that from the first time he's in there. 
Yes. I leave in a taxi and they're like, that priest was hot. And from then on, yeah, it's the hot priest. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, the opener for season two was set at a dinner party where the priest and the family are meeting because her dad and her stepmom are engaged um, or her godmother are engaged and their priest is there and he's like this cool priest he's not a regular priest he's a cool priest he you know he swears a lot he swears a lot funny. he drinks a lot he you know he's funny he's sexy um he's kind of awkward and nervous and young you know like he's this young irish kind of um hilarious guy but he's also a priest and it's kind of you know it kind of blows the stereotype out of the water as well which is kind of nice mm. um but he and Fleabag strike up this kind of keenness for each other or this kind of intrigue and Mm -hmm. she just is kind of taken by him and she's like are you a real priest and he's like yes you know are you a real waitress or do you you really own a cafe or whatever? Like (laughs) it's just so bizarre. Um, But a really sad scene that happens um, that's really interesting as well as in the very first dinner party scene of season two is her sister goes to the bathroom and they've had this big Mm. fight and she has a miscarriage and Fleabag goes into the toilet and she's like, oh, my God, do you need help? Have you got your period? It's just your period. And then she – she pushes into the toilet to give her some um, like hand towel and then she's like, get your hands off my miscarriage. (laughs) Like it's just so sad and she, you know, um, she's like, oh, my God, Claire, like we need to go to a hospital right now and then she's like, okay, and they go back to the dinner table and then she sits down and she's like, f*** it, let's have some wine. You know, if it's gone, it's gone. Mm -hmm. And um, Fleabag's just totally confused and – then to get her sister out of the situation and to the hospital, she pretends to have the miscarriage herself and then just disaster ensues and everyone falls into everyone and they all <laughs> hit each other in the face and stuff. And it's just crazy. But um, I was listening to an interview with Phoebe Wellbridge and she said that she actually said <laughs> – the person interviewing her uh, mm. on this podcast that she had – um, sent her a message and said, I think I've inadvertently written your miscarriage into season two. Oh, and I, no. she's like, I didn't realize until afterwards. She's like, I think I've actually utilized this story. And then the interviewer was like, when I received that message, I was like, oh my God, like, that's great. Like, I'm happy for you to tell this story and it's important. And if I trust anyone with material, it's you. Like she's a friend of mm. the family, this interviewer as well. And, um, then she was like, yeah, you did it so much justice. Like I really loved that, how you did it, and it was so perfect. And that happened to her. So the interviewer had a miscarriage wow. at a brunch and then sat down and carried on because she felt shame and she felt was in denial and whatnot. Yeah. So, yeah, that all inspired that. Wow. Yeah, that scene is amazing um, is in amazing. the first episode of season two. And so the reason that Claire doesn't want to tell anyone is because she hadn't even told her husband she was pregnant. She's like, you don't tell anyone till 12 weeks. And Fleabag's like, you tell your husband. Yes. Um, but they've got quite a dysfunctional relationship. And, you know, she hadn't been drinking for six months. And she's like, well, whatever. Now that I've lost it, I'll just have a party. And it's interesting in episode two, after this has all happened, um, 
Fleabag says to her, okay, I think you need to tell everyone now that you've had a miscarriage. And her sister Claire's like, I don't want it. You took it. It's yours now. You, you just keep it. You took my miscarriage. You just keep it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who? She is a phenomenal actress as well. Her name is Sean Clifford and she is just hilarious in this show. Like, I don't think I've seen her anywhere else, but her delivery is just magnificent. Mm, she is amazing and yeah she's very prim and proper compared to Fleabag who's more just sort of yes happy-go-lucky yeah now before we go too much more into season two I think we need to go back to season one and I'm aware of your strong feelings that season two are better I've heard you say that I think you said that to me before I'd watched either season I know you sort of preach the merits of season two but I'm gonna disagree with you I think season one is better No, Grace. I'm going to explain it to you in immense detail. Okay. I just think the storyline and the twist is much more profound in season one. It's what happened with her and her best friend is more profound and interesting and impactful than a hot priest. So basically, as we've said, we're going to give spoilers now for season one. So... Basically, throughout season one, as we've said, she's really lonely. There's lots of flashbacks to her and her best friend who is adorable and beautiful, but she's never in any of the present scenes and you learn at the end of episode one that she died in an accident. And slowly but slowly, they reveal more and more information about the circumstances of this. Meanwhile, Fleabag is pretty self-destructive. She's in lots of really weird sexual situations and she's kind of always you know doing hilarious evil things like letting out her stepmom's cat and she's kind of like am I a terrible person don't care yeah Um, (laughs) but there's this really beautiful scene between her and her best friend and they've got this hamster together and kind of she seems dumb but she's also like so profound and beautiful and in it like Innocent but not, but just gorgeous. It's true. Even in a flashback in season two when um, uh, Boo was alive at uh, Fleabag's mum's funeral. Funeral, um, yes. And she was just like, um, I just don't know what to do with all this love that I have. And she's like, I'll give have it. it. Yeah. Uh, it'll sa- it sounds lovely. Like, give it to me. You have to give it it's to me. Go I want somewhere. it. Yeah. It's got to go somewhere. Yeah. And that was just like so beautiful and so heartbreaking She's beautiful and her voicemail is like you've called boo i'm not here so leave a messiagio after the beep like, yeah. she's just so cute <laughs> she is she is and, and so really slowly sad. you start to learn more about the circumstances of her death and you learn that the reason she was in an accident was because she walked into the cycling lane she wasn't trying to kill herself but she wanted to get in hospital because she wanted to sort of um, show, you know, make her boyfriend feel bad because it turns out her boyfriend cheated on her. So she's like, I just want to go to hospital, not let him visit me, and he'll feel really sorry for what he did to me. Mm. And people keep saying, oh, she killed herself. And Fleabag's like, no, it was an accident. Yeah. And um, another thing is happening in season one where Claire, her sister, Fleabag's sister, has this husband called Martin, and he tries to kiss kiss Fleabag and she tells Claire about it and Claire's like oh god I'm gonna dump him like what a dick but in the season finale she says to Fleabag no Martin told me what happened and actually you kissed him and she's like no I didn't I swear I didn't and Claire says how could I trust you after what you did to Boo 
Yeah. And then all these flashbacks that you've sort of been seeing snippets of but don't really make sense all suddenly come together and it turns out actually Fleabag slept with Boo's partner. And that is why she walked into the traffic. And it's like, you're not responsible for someone else's choices. It's not Fleabag's fault that her friend chose to walk into traffic. Yeah. But but she's so messed up by that. And I think like it was such, such, not quite a twist, but it was like, it was very impactful. I think it was a really powerful season. And I think it's better than season two. Oh, look, um, yes, it was powerful, but I, I I think, and it was an interesting idea, but it definitely had a, a darker sort of twistier um, feeling to it. Whereas I feel like season two was a lot more kind of lovely, even though it was still really emotional. Well, um, that's definitely subjective. So I'm saying it was dark and twisty, but it was so important. And you're saying, yeah, but it was like more fun in season two. I think season one was better, true. even if it was more shocking and dark but I also think that like we've never seen the concepts that were covered in season two like season one we have seen I gave my case on season one time for you to tell our listeners why season two is where it's at and look they're both fantastic so you know I mean watch them both but season two I just thought oh my god I've never seen a portrayal of um a person like this in a situation like this and I just loved the complicated relationship with her and the priest. I just thought Mm. it was magnificent. Um, It was. The the complicated relationship between her and her sister, um, the love that her dad and her horrific stepmom actually share Mm. that like even though they hate her, they're like, "Mm, you actually do love our dad and you're really sweet together. Um, You know, but also the priest and like it's a love story, right? And they have this fascination for each other and they clearly both really like each other and there are some sexy hot scenes with like <laughs> just tension just tension mm-hmm. just sexual tension because like because she's it's like, forbidden because oh he's like, taken a vow of celibacy yeah exactly but he's so hot and he's so sexy and he's so funny and he's so cute and he's irish and it's just like oh mm-hmm. my god um he's beautiful and then they actually do get close and you know she learns a lot about him and his Uh, love for religion and God even though she's an atheist and she kind of can Mm. learn some things about that and he can learn a lot about her and he talks really frankly about it as well which you never see in like shows Mm. you know from that perspective I think it's really cool even though I'm not a religious person but I think it was uh you know a lot of people who might not be a flea bag in that kind of learning and kind of having those questions that she had but also being like come on lots of people have sex you're not gonna burn mm-hmm. and he's just like but if I have sex with you I'm gonna fall in love with you and then you know I can't have this life um mm-hmm. and he just really loves being a priest and he really wants to be a priest and he absolutely like it's just so beautiful and Big spoiler right now. So the very mm-hmm. last scene, which I highly recommend if you liked what we've talked about, do not listen to what I'm about to say because you <laughs> want to find out what happens yourself. But the very last scene, they're sitting on a park bench. Um, at this point, they've already had sex. Um, you know, they're pretty like into each other, but she's kind of like, what's he going to do? Is he going to mm-hmm. choose me and leave God or is he going to choose mm-hmm. God and leave me? Mm-hmm. Um and a really interesting thing happened is like they're in this bus shelter and she's just like, okay, 
you know, what's going to happen? And she says, but I love you, you know? And he's like, I love you too. And then he says, it'll pass. And, oh, it was just like heartbreaking, but so profound as well. And she tears up and, you know, then he walks away and it's just like, it will though. It will That part is amazing. I've got chills with you just describing that. Because he, yeah, he was amazing. And, you know, we've talked about how she's been so lonely and missing her best friend and not being able to get connection for these two seasons. But he was the first person that could really see her. And in fact, he could even see into her internal world. And so when she addresses the camera, no other character has ever blinked an eye. No, they'll have a conversation. She'll turn around, it will carry on. But he'll be like, where did you just go? You know, you just went into your head. Where? What are you thinking about? Where do you go? And then she glances at the camera like Jim Halpert, you know, and then um, (laughs) she glances (laughs) at the camera and then he's like, there, you did it again. Where did you go? Yeah. Where did you go? And then at one point she goes, oh, his his lovely neck. And then he goes, what did you just say? And then she's like, what? He's like, you just said his lovely neck. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And she's like, no, I didn't. No, I and didn't. And what about they're in the cafe and she talks to the camera and then he turns to his over his shoulder and he looks directly at the camera too and he's like, bah! And you're like, oh, my God, he looked at the camera. He saw us. Oh, I forgot about that scene. Oh, my God. It's just so smart. And also what I loved about it too is that this plot device of the fourth wall and looking at the camera is done in so many shows but not like this. And in season Mm. two, they literally nail it because she's looking at the camera all the time and um, she even gets this therapy session for her birthday, which is really insulting. But anyway, and so she goes to this therapy session with, um, Did you notice woman. who the therapist was? Yes, she's also in Killing Eve. Exactly. And she's in Harry Potter. And Harry Potter, yep. Yes. Yep, she's amazing. And she's like... Petunia Dursley. But yes, clearly someone Phoebe Waller-Bridge works with a lot because she's in her other show. And just so many, like, great lines. Like, she's just like, as she walks into the therapist's office, she's, like, massaging her arms and she's like, excuse me, I have dry forearms. <laughs> just like super weird and random and then she's like do you have any friends and she's like yes mm. and then she's like I actually don't and then she's and, and then she's like any love interests and she's like kind of you know and then she's like I just want my money back and stuff like and yeah, then she just looks like, at her. I don't even want it the session. I don't want to trade this voucher in for cash. And she's like, well, we've been going for five minutes. We can't stop for now. five minutes. Yeah, exactly. And then she just looks at her and looks at her and there's this silence. And then she goes, I want to fuck a priest. <laughs> and then she's, yeah. like, <laughs> then she's like, interesting, interesting. Do you want to fuck a priest or do you want to fuck God? And she's like, can you fuck God? Yeah. <laughs> You know, like it's just so funny and it's just so interesting. But also she does kind of learn that she doesn't have a lot of friends and the camera are like her friends. And you don't notice as the viewer either. Like I didn't notice that she didn't have friends either apart from Boo. And um, I guess because she's always meeting these kind of guys and she's going on lots of adventures and she's got her sister and her crazy family and the cafe, I didn't notice that she didn't have friends. And I don't think she did either until that therapist session. And that was so interesting. Like they just create this show so, so interestingly. And then as the fourth wall breaks, you know, she's just like, you know, and that guy can actually see into it. You know, he's catching her out on what she's doing. And it's just such a sort of, meta 
thing. And it's just so crazy. And then right at the very, very end, as, you know, she goes, he goes, it'll pass. And they Mm. both end and walk away and they don't get together. But it's still like a beautiful story. And, um, you know, then the camera stops following her and she shakes her head and she kind of like gives us a little Mm. nod and the camera stays still and she walks away. And it's just like, it's just poetry. Like it is so damn good. I can't even gush enough. Like it is so damn good. It is amazing. It's groundbreaking. It's nuanced. It's like, yeah, it's very different from the cutesy stereotype. If anything, it's the anti-cutesy stereotype Mm, um, of just a nuanced, imperfect, flawed person. And yeah, it's definitely worth watching whether you listen to this or not um, and have, you know, spoilers are only one thing when you actually watch it for yourself. Definitely recommend if you've never seen it before, even if you've listened through this Hulk segment, definitely check it out. You won't regret it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And season two is better than season one. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think season one is better. Do we know if there's going to be a season three? There won't be. They won't really. Yeah, they've drawn the line in the sand. That's it. Yep. And one final thing I do have to say that Phoebe Waller-Bridge brought up in one of her interviews as well is um, this isn't based on her real life. Of course, she That's says. That's interesting. Yeah. So she says that of course she drew from her life, um, and she also gets asked this question a lot. You know, is this based on your life? Also because it's so interesting and so nuanced and so heartfelt. Um, she says it's really interesting when I get asked this question because. I don't know whether it's um, appreciative or insulting, as in she doesn't know mm. whether it means this, she's, she should be so flattered because her work feels so honest and so authentic um, that mm. people question whether it came from real life, like that is so flattering, or is it because they just don't think that women can make stuff up because women can and writers mm. can. I'm a writer. I make things up. And that's what I've done and I've created and I'm really proud of what I've created, but you know, it didn't come, doesn't necessarily have to have come from real life. It's a story. And I just mm. think that that was like so profound and so interesting. And she's like, it's a, it's an interesting question. I don't know whether I'm offended or flattered, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's flattering that people love it and connect with it. So that's totally. what she takes from it. Yeah, that's such a good quote. And I think definitely some parts of it that are true are like just her, I don't know, hilarious, inappropriate things she does because I've heard her tell some stories which I'm like, oh, my God, why would you admit that on a TV interview? I know. Some stuff she's done is so outrageous. So I think, you know, some parts of it. Yeah, and like I, the personality is inspired by her true personality because that's an honest personality that's not shown enough on TV. Yeah, and also the name Fleabag was her real nickname as a child. Really? Yep. So Fleabag. I wondered where the name Fleabag came from. Yep, that's that's why. That's why. So, yeah, epic show, you guys. Just listen to us. Check it out. You will not be sorry, trust me. Yeah, definitely need to watch it. It's on Amazon Prime. And now it's time to find out what hills we're dying on this week. So my hill this week is that pointy plants are ugly. (laughs) Wait, what? 
pointy plants are ugly. And specifically, I was reminded of this by yuccas. And yuccas are just that. They are yuck. They are unappealing. I have no idea what any of the words you were saying are. (laughs) What is pinky plants and yuccas? What are we talking about? (laughs) I really thought you would being such a green thumb yourself, Grace. Yeah, no, I have no monstera, ferns. Oh my God. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. So you might have seen a horrific looking desert sort of looking dry plant with giant pointy leaves that look like swords and feel like swords when you touch them. Do you mean a cactus? I don't. I mean a yucca. And a yucca is like this. It's called a yucca and they are like quintessentially, I don't know, everywhere in bloody estates and boring places where they just have like no idea of like nice cottage plants and look this is totally subjective and I know that there's probably (laughs) a lot of people who would agree with me that yuccas are disgusting um but some people like (laughs) other pointy plants and I just don't like pointy plants I just really sharp straight green leaves I just find them so ugly and I mean I respect the fact that it's alive (laughs) I'm sorry. This is our pettiest content yet. I'm so <laughs> not, not coping with you not liking pointy plants. <laughs> this is by, by far the stupidest hill I've ever died on. But yeah. here I am. Here I am. And they are ugly. Um, they are alive and they never die. So I moved into my house. Never? They, I moved into this house um, two years ago now. And there was a yucca in my yard that the homeowners previously never took with them. And how dare they? Because I really wanted it mm. out of my home. And I couldn't even get rid of it because it is so heavy and so big and it's in a pot. And I can't even take the pot off. I have to literally crack the pot and get rid of it. And I've tried to kill the plant. I've poisoned it. I've tried to <laughs> chop it. I've done everything to kill this goddamn yucca and it's in a pot. I've even like turned it on its side. I've like, you know, I've tried to strip it of its leaves. I've tried to do everything to kill this plant and here it is surviving. So I probably I should. Like this could be like a short movie or something. A short <laughs> movie. Plant with like little music in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I should take some footage of myself trying to destroy this yucca. Yes. But um I have a lot of respect for the fact that they just keep on surviving, kind of like agapanthers. But I like agapanthers, actually. Um, I think I have, you know, pointy plants specifically I don't like. A cactus is a sharp plant, but it's not a pointy plant. They're usually round, um, and I (laughs) like them. Um, But yuccas are stupid. I think they're ugly. I don't know why people have them around, and just pointy plants are really ugly. I think people should choose Nice rounded plants and cottage gardens are the best. <laughs> and this is my hill to die on. So <laughs> there. I love it. that. And I also, mean, while I'm here, this is a completely not pointy plant and it's a plant that I love, but mm-hmm. it's also a stupid plant and it's the maiden hair fern. God damn it. I cannot get a maiden hair fern to live. It will always die. They are so cute and so pretty, and no matter what you do to them, they will die. I have not seen yeah. a maiden hair, maiden hair fern survive in anybody's house that I know, including gardeners. So there you have it, my plant rant. Life and death in Miranda's backyard. 
I can't say I agree with you, but that's only because I have no idea still what you're talking about. I literally don't know how you don't know what a yucca yucca is is after this. I don't know how you don't know what a yucca is, Grace. I mean, they are just yuck. That's why they're called yuckers because they're just okay. I'm sure when I Google it, I'll be like, oh yeah, that nondescript plant that's not harming anyone. Now I feel (laughs) rage that I've seen this photo. It's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know. You might join me on this hill eventually, Grace. You don't know. You haven't uh, had a yeah, yucca maybe, come into your yard. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Look, not yet, but you might turn me around. Um, my hill this week is a bit different. My hill this week is that Delta Goodrum does not get enough credit or respect. Um, no, you, I totally disagree with you. Delta Goodrum's the worst, Grace. Yeah, everyone thinks she's the worst. She is, everyone though. hates Delta Goodrum. She is. I hate Delta Goodrum. Yeah, I thought you might. Um, <laughs> everyone has Delta Goodrum. But her first album is actually so good, banger after banger. And she's released some good quarantine content. She released a video of her performing the nanny theme song, which is very adorable. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. It's cool. But her biggest splash during quarantine is her song Paralyzed. Have you heard about this? Yes. Yes. I know you'll hate it because it's two things you hate, which is it's long form and it's, it's an emotional backstory talking head. And it's cute. And she is I, just I would all not about say cutesy. It's cutesy. All she does is fake and cutesy. Like that is just her persona. I disagree. I think that she's actually awesome and everyone needs to just like stop thinking that it's cool to hate Delta Goodrum. Mm, no, I don't think it's cool. I just hate her. And also like she just... She just is really vapid and like really fake. Have you ever watched The Voice? Have you seen her personality? No, it's I don't the watch worst. The Voice. Okay, well then you would understand why everybody hates her, Grace, because like she's literally <laughs> the worst. And like, yes, she's got an absolutely angelic voice. Yes, she is stunning, and yes, she's had some hardships in her life. Which, full respect. I don't wish upon anybody, you know, her paralyzed song was all about how she, you know, had this surgery where she couldn't then speak or sing for a while, she but then she got over sing, it. Yes. She got over it. She's fine. And she also got over Hodgkin's lymphoma. Amazing. However, despite those things, she's just really fake and, and quite annoying. And, and I really just, I can't stand the persona. I really wish she would just, um, you know, kind of, if she wants to take a serious element, Um, focus on those serious things and actually, you know, maybe have a bit more, I don't know, her persona just doesn't match the stories she constantly wants to say and explain. And I just, I just, I can't get on board with this. I really think she's so annoying and I admire her for overcoming her hardships, but she's also an absolutely stunning, um, privileged white woman who's like fake and cutesy and super annoying. So, yeah. (laughs) Australia agrees with you but my heel is to defend Delta and say look she's actually awesome and she's a national treasure and she's Australia's answer to Taylor Swift and people should just stop hating Delta Goodrum no Taylor Swift I can get on board with Grace but no 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 I will not join you on this hill absolutely not It's been a very dynamic, hilly, hilly session this week. It's been a roller coaster of of hills, yes. Yeah, (laughs) highs and lows, mountains, peaks and troughs. But some interesting conversations for sure. 100%. All right, well, let's get into some recommendations. So 
my first recommendation this week is very, very relevant to our discussion on Big Data and Trump. Um, mm. So it's called The Comey Rule and it is a two-part series on Stan and I could not believe that there was only two episodes, but they are two yes. movie-length episodes. I've heard about this, but I haven't seen it, so it's good? Oh, it's really good. I was so Doco? compelled by it. It's not a doco. It's a fictional tale, um, but it's based- It's not fictional, though. It's true. A drama of a true story. What a is true, that called? A true story. Um, <laughs> a biopic? A biopic? A biopic? Yeah. A biopic? yeah. Hmm, we know things. Um, so, yeah, it's it's based on James Comey, who was the director of the FBI that looked into the Hillary emails specifically. And he also launched the Russia investigation and Trump's dealings yes. with Putin yes. and, you know, potentially having something to do with the American election. Um, it's an absolutely fascinating story that is true. Um, it's based off a memoir that was written by James Comey. However, it is not produced by James Comey and he did not have anything to do with the writing of the show and his portrayal. It's played by Def- – he's played by Jeff Daniels, who is a fantastic actor, mm. um, also well-known for Newsroom, which, if you haven't seen it, is a brilliant show as well. He's yes. so good. He's almost the same in this, but he is so captivating and he's so good. The actor who plays Trump is so – on point as well and he doesn't play a really stupid version of Trump he plays a I mean Trump's a buffoon so you can only do what you can do but he's um mm. it's more kind of like the sinister side of what this person could do to a country and also kind of this really interesting conversation about ethics and what James Comey actually did because I didn't understand a lot about that I just knew it was mm. really Weird that Comey got fired, you know, after mm-hmm. the Russia investigation relaunched and Trump having lots of conversations. And James Comey was known for taking very detailed notes of private conversations. And he did not want to be in any of these private conversations with Trump, but he was forced into these situations and then took very detailed notes um, of what was said and locked them in basically vaults for when it needed to come out. And Mm. it's just incredibly complicated and it's presented in a way that is understandable for the most part. And it is so relevant to the current election coming up, which we will be talking about Mm -hmm. in our finale. And it is just so complicated and it's so good. And the guy who plays Trump is so good and Jeff Daniels is so good. The hot guy from um, Love Story at the end grant um plays he plays he plays obama um george o'malley makes an appearance as like a trump offsider guy yeah there is like and the guy from house of cards is in this like oh my god it's just it is an all-star cast and i'm so happy that this story has come out before another election because i feel Mm -hmm. like it is quite groundbreaking and quite accessible and a lot of people Mm -hmm. will be watching it so please goddamn watch it watch it Sounds awesome. I'll definitely watch it. Yep. My first record is very different to that. It's a stupid movie. <laughs> um, the kind of movie to watch when you're hungover or just want something really oh, stupid. Um, yes. <laughs> it's called Jexy. Jexy. So, yes, Jexy. <laughs> okay. And it's similar to that movie from 10 years ago where Scarlett Johansson is Siri and he like falls in love with Siri. Do you remember that movie? 
Oh, her. Her. It's like that, but oh. it's set now. And it stars the guy who's from Workaholics and Pitch Perfect. Oh, yes. Love him. Yes. And Rose Byrne plays the Siri sort of AI called Jexy. Mm. And it's just like hilarious. It's not going to win any Oscars, <laughs> but it's pretty funny. It's on Amazon Prime, which you'll need to download to watch Fleabag. Um, so while you're doing your Amazon free trial, check out Jexy for just some like, yeah, it's pretty funny. I've got to say. Is it a comedy? Take it with the grain Is it of a comedy? It's is it 100% a, a comedy? Is it a love story? Is it, is it a, what is it? It has some rom-com elements, but mainly it's just a comedy, um, a pretty stupid comedy about the power of AI ruining your life. So it's similar to our big data themes. <laughs> sounds hilarious. Um, <laughs> it is hilarious. No, it honestly is. <laughs> I can't wait. No, that sounds brilliant. That sounds brilliant. Yeah, my next recommendation is um, really stupid as well. And I am uh, I have you to thank for this, Grace, because you have Great. literally tagged me this uh, in this on Facebook today. And it is... <laughs> I know what it is. Yes. It's on <laughs> yeah. SBS The Feed on Facebook. Yes. And I'm pretty sure it's our favorite girls. Are these the... Um, are these the girls? This is Freud and Nip. These Freud are the ones and Nip. I have recommended before. Yes, yes. they're so yes. good. And it's called Dealing with Your QAnon Friend. And oh my yes. God, it is like <laughs> this perfect five-minute video of her of him just being like, we know you love your pyramid schemes. And, you know, that was kind of cute. But this bullshit with your bloody QAnon and your stuff, that's where we draw the line. So you need to, like, suck this up and we are not listening to this anymore. And then she's like, okay. And then she's like, would you like to hear about the new um, thing that I'm putting in my vagina? And they're like, of course. There she is. There she is. She's back. <laughs> I yeah. love how it starts. They all sit down for drinks and one of them's like, it was really bad traffic on the way here and the QAnon one's like traffic like child sex like trafficking human, like human trafficking Hillary yeah. is behind the child sex <laughs> trafficking pedophile ring it is like the most perfect like comedy five minutes I just oh do yourself a favor and watch it it is just hilarious <laughs> yeah that is so awesome so good for my second one it's been a while since I've recommended depressing documentary oh right so I'm going to recommend the new BBC doco that recently came out on iview called The Rise of the Murdoch Dynasty. Okay. And I think based on the conversation we had in Treasury today about different media sources, I think you'll really like it too because it's basically about how the Rupert Murdoch media empire is running basically Australian, American and UK politics. Interesting. It's really like... It's really bad, but it's also very interesting. And it talks a lot about um, phone hacking. It's one of the big things the Murdoch um, media did. They would just hack everyone's phones. They would hack celebrities' phones, politicians' phones. And people would be like, how are they writing these stories about us that are so accurate? Mm. And it came out that they just thought they were above the law. But the time the phone hacking really became a problem and got them a lot of public sort of scrutiny was in 2002 when a teenager called Millie Dowler disappeared and her mum was calling her phone every hour being like, pick up, pick up, where are you, come home. And after a while, her voice message sort of answering machine message stopped playing because her mailbox was full, so it would just beep. Right. But one day her mum called and her answering message had turned back on again and she's like, oh, my God, like my daughter emptied her mailbox. She's alive but the Murdoch media had just hacked her phone. 
Oh. Yeah, so it's like really, really bad. And it will definitely light a fire under your belly. And Kevin Rudd has launched a petition calling for a royal commission into it. So everyone's really? talking about it. And, you know, mm, so similar to our um, similar to our conversation today, I think you would enjoy that. Mm. If you enjoyed Comey, I mean, it is a doco, but it's interesting. Yeah, that sounds really interesting and something that I really don't mm. know much about. So, yeah, maybe like maybe a, maybe a maybe a slight uh, topic for season three, I'm thinking, Grace, um, yeah, <laughs> once I do some more research. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go to something non-depressing and that is Sex in the City, <laughs> uh, which we'll be talking about next week. And in addition to Sex in the City, which is just absolutely iconic, we're also going to be talking about the concept, the TV show and what happens in catfish what is a catfish how does it happen um some really interesting theories about catfish and why are we fascinated with the concept it's just it's something that's a little bit of a throwback it's not a new concept but you know Mm. there's a lot of theories about it and I think it is really complex and really interesting to unpack so join us for that conversation next week Mm, yeah interesting to ask some questions about catfish and the million dollar question is definitely like WTF is it called catfish Um, pretending to be a hot person on the internet totally have the answer for you by the way (laughs) we'll get into that next week yes Um, and in the meantime check us out on Instagram or Facebook we drop some bonus content on Instagram throughout the week So we'll see you on there. And if not, we'll see you next week. Please note that the views expressed within this podcast are our own and we are not experts. We've done some serious Googling and even some serious internet deep dives, but we are by no means qualified. If you need actual advice, please speak to a licensed professional. We can even help you Google one.